here today. I am, uh, I'm not a crier. There's some people that are default criers. Um, my mom, she's a crier. She's got a tear for every season, every emotion. <clears throat> I don't, I don't say that, uh, <laughs> to make her feel awkward. Just some people are criers. I'm not, I'm not one of those people. Like people die, get hurt, all that. Like I just don't really cry. Uh, I've been wrecked this morning, gutted, and the Lord is here in a very special way. I just encourage you to to bask in His presence, to reflect in Him. Uh, the worship team this morning, thank you. That was so good, so anointed. Uh, you know, Eden re- referenced Ephesians 4.1. That's one of the first verses that ever stuck out to me in my own Bible study. I was reading, didn't really know where to read. I was like, I think this Paul guy is pretty solid. We'll start here in Ephesians. Um, and I came across that verse, and something clicked in me in Ephesians 4.1. Paul says, Therefore I, a prisoner of Christ, beg of you to live a life worthy of your calling, for you have been called by the Lord. You have been called by God. And something started to shift in me. I was a student at Mercer at that time, and I didn't really know where my life... Uh, I mean, I thought I knew what I was going to do. I was going to graduate and go on to get a doctorate in physical therapy and work with veterans, and that was my plan. And God started shifting that plan. And now uh, I've graduated Bible college. I'm minister, and I do heat and air to make money. So, <laughs> you know, there's... When, when we sing that song and it says, Lord, have your way in my life, I commit it all to you, be, that's a dangerous prayer. That's an all-in prayer. Let me tell you, you might think you're on one path and then six years later walk up on stage to preach a Sunday morning service feeling inadequate, broken, shattered. I was like, God, who am I? And he was like, you're, you're just the conduit. You're just the vessel. So I'm serving him out of my weakness this morning and awareness of his presence and his awesomeness. I'm committing this, this to him, myself to him, that through the anointing of his spirit, I may bring some encouragement and clarity to the believer and those that are far off today. So I want to pray for myself, if you would pray with me, uh, and we are going to get into the word this morning. Father, I commit myself in this time to you, Lord. I pray that you anoint me with your spirit to speak clearly, Lord. Uh, I pray that you prepare our hearts to receive your word, Lord. We just honor you and devote this time to you, Father. You're such an awesome God, and we are thankful for the confidence we have in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Excuse me, I accidentally had some ice in my mouth. I didn't want you to hear me crunch it, so I just swallowed it. We're going to get the bat off the shoulder and swing for the fence this morning. I'm just a dude, all right? Ain't nothing special about me. God just has an assignment for me, and I rely on the anointing of his spirit to carry me through this. If you would, stand for the reading of his word. Today we are in Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, 3 through 6. 
Paul's writing to the Philippian church, and he says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He said, I am sure of this. In the King James, it says, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. We are confident he has begun a work in you, and he is going to complete it. Uh, you may be seated, and this morning, by the grace of God, we are, uh, the title of today's sermon is The Confidence of the Believer. The confidence of the believer. If you're taking notes, you can just head it. The confidence of the believer is a dot, dot, dot. And then your points will complete that sentence. Now, you don't have to be a prophet to understand we're facing some difficult times in America and in the world at large. Several of the women that spoke this morning talked about the line in the sand, the things that are becoming more pronounced. There's the, the time of sitting in the cheap seats for us is coming to a close. There's going to be skin in the game. There's going to be, I stand on this side of this line, and I stand with Jesus Christ. That is coming, America. That is coming, church family. You have to be confident in what you believe. We believe in Jesus Christ as our Savior. As believers, we have a confidence that is reserved for the children of God. Our confidence is placed on the foundation of God Almighty, His Word, the person and finished work of Jesus Christ. It is an unshakable foundation. It produces an unshakable confidence. If you're not in a place where you would say, I am confident as a believer and a follower of Christ, please listen today. Let the Holy Spirit do the work in your heart that he is here to do today. This, uh, half of the people that spoke this morning taught, brought you a verse from Philippians. The very first verse that ever stuck out to me was quoted, God has a plan. You are not here by accident. Whether this is your church family or your first time walking into a church in decades, he knew you would be here today. I walked in these doors six years ago right about this time and hadn't stepped foot in a church in decades. And God has a plan, and he will work the plan. And we can be confident that he, God, Jesus Christ, the one that started the work in you, is faithful, and he is going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The confidence of the believer is a, number one, it is a personal confidence. Each believer has their own confidence. My confidence is mine. My mom's confidence is hers. Pastor John's confidence is his. But you've got to have your confidence, believer. We're going to mature into that confidence. We're going to learn things, grow into that confidence. The day that you're quickened, the day that you become a new creation in Christ Jesus, the day that you are made alive with him, you're not going to have the same confidence that you have five years from then. 
Now, you're going to be just as saved. There's no difference in your salvation. There was a thief on a cross next to Christ near his last breath who received salvation because he placed his confidence on Jesus Christ. That doesn't change, but the way we live that out changes as we mature. It is your confidence. Paul matured into a confident and an unshakable follower of Christ. So much so that he would pin in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's a strong statement. I would have to be honest with you and say, I'm not prepared to make that statement. I don't want you to imitate everything that I do. I know, that, I know that I follow Christ. I know that I love him and my confidence is on him. But imitate me as I imitate Christ, that, that's strong. He said, I bear the marks of Jesus on my body in Galatians 6. Does anybody know how Paul started out? He was a Pharisee. Stunt, studied under Gamaliel. He, he was a persecutor of the way, a persecutor of Christ. He was present at the first martyr when Stephen was stoned to death, hold the coats, and approved of what happened. He went to the Sadducees, the Sanhedrin. Now this, I'm going to break this down for you in contemporary terms so you understand the gravity of what, how determined Paul was to stamp out Christianity. It would be as if Mitch McConnell went over to Chuck Schumer and said, hey man, I need you to sign off on this because I got some stuff to do and it's going to help us both out. And, and Chuck Schumer's like, yeah man, sign away, have at it, carry your plan out. That, that's what happened when Paul went to the Sanhedrin and said, I need these special letters because I'm going to go to Damascus and I'm going to stamp, I'm going to put an end to this. Every professor of the way, everyone that believes in Jesus Christ, I'm going to put them in chains and bring them back to Jerusalem. We're going to try them imprison them, execute them, whatever may be the case, we're going to stamp this out. That's where Paul was at. And Christ appeared to him on the road to Damascus and changed his entire life trajectory. He said, you're going to follow me. And he said, why do you persecute me? And Paul's response, who are you, Lord? What do you want me to do? And Jesus made it plain to him, you're going to suffer, but you're going to be my witness to the Gentiles. You're going to go further uh, east than anyone else has ever gone before with the gospel. You're going to suffer greatly. And Paul came to the point through maturation that he could stand there confidently and write to the Corinthian church and tell them, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So don't tell me you've gone too far. I thought I'd gone too far. There was a time in my life where I crossed my, my arms over my chest and said, there's no way you can save me, God. I've gone too far. I'm too lost, I'm too shattered, I'm too broken. And by the grace and the anointing of the Holy Spirit, I can stand here today and say, I am redeemed. I am a blood-bought child of God. I am confident in that, and that is my confidence. My confidence is on the word of his that I study. My confidence is on the experience and the history that I have for him. My confidence is rooted in knowing how shattered and broken and lost that I was, and he brought me and gave me beauty for ashes. My confidence rests on that. Who he is, his finished work. 
But my confidence is going to do you no good when it comes time for you to decide what side of the line in the sand you're going to stand on. That has to be yours. You have to know that. It's your confidence, believer. Walk with him. The word is clear. Knock, the door will be opened. Seek, and you will find. Come and learn of me. Paul exhorts us to grow in our knowledge of God. Why? Because there's coming a time where what we have hidden in our heart may be the only thing we have. And if you don't have that place on a firm foundation, if you have not done the work to study the word, if you have not poured your life out to get to know God, if you've not dug down deep to the bedrock and placed your house of faith on a firm foundation, the torrents and the floods will come and sweep you away. And I am not trying to be a naysayer, a doomsday, anything like that. I am telling you the truth according to Scripture. If you do not dig down and place your faith on solid ground, the finished work of Jesus Christ, who he is, if your faith is placed on the sands of my best life now, your house is swept away when they leverage your health care, when they leverage your job, when they leverage your ability to feed your children against you, your house is gone. I'm not trying to beat the sheep. I'm trying to wake you up and make you aware that this, this is coming. It's not an if it gets bad in America. It's bad. It's, you're going to have to pick who you're going to serve. Who are, what are you confident in? Are you confident in your ability to provide? Or are you confident in God's ability to provide? Because you're going to go one way or the other. Paul said, I bear the, mar the marks of Jesus on my body. Now, we can take that and think, well, you know, what, what was so bad about Paul's life? What are the marks on Paul's body? He's, he's a pastor. He's a preacher. He only works one day a week. What's, what's the big deal? Marks on his body. I'm in these streets every week, every day. I got to deal with people that are rude. I got to crawl under houses, hang out with spiders, got bit on my jacket by a snake, freaked out, hit my head on a floor joist. I bear the marks of earning a paycheck on my body. What's this dude talking about? Paul in 2 Corinthians eleven twenty three through 28. I want you to know he's being, he's not exaggerating the truth, but he's just like, oh, look, you know, we just want to, Compare war reports. Let's just be foolish and do that. And he goes on to say, Are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman. I've done far greater labors, far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. That, that's what Paul's talking about when he says, I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. Far more imprisonments, countless beatings, often near death. Not like this one time I almost died. Often. It happened pretty regular. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes, less one. So the governing body had determined 40 strikes will kill you. So we're going to taper that back one. Hook you up with 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. 
A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers at sea, dangers from false brothers, without food and toil and hardship, through many a sleepless nights and hunger and thirst and cold and exposure, and part from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches that I've founded. Paul, Paul is saying, despite all of that, I'm confident of this one thing, that we preach Christ and Christ crucified, and that is the only way to salvation. It's a stumbling block for the Jew. It's foolishness to the Gentiles, but that's what I preach. I bear these marks because that is what I'm sure of. I am so confident of that, that these light and momentary afflictions, did you hear that list? Light and momentary afflictions are of no consequence to me. I'm sold out. I've given it all to God. It wasn't mine to begin with. I don't care what happens to my body. Beat it. Put it in prison. Starve me. Freeze me. Whatever you say. I'm not going to be quiet because this I am sure of, that these people need to know who Jesus Christ is, what he's done, and that there is no other name given amongst men whereby you must be saved other than Jesus Christ. So I will bear these hardships, and I will think of them as light and momentary because I'm going to run this race, this assignment that God has given me. And those that bring up my past, yeah, I did that. Yes, I had held the coats for Stephen, for Stephen's martyrdom. I had a smile the whole time. I was like, yeah, get them, boys. Get a bigger rock. I think he's still twitching. Uh, like, you know, that, that's his war report, right? And he said, God saved me to show you that I am the chiefest of sinners and there was grace for me. And where sin abounds, grace does abound much more. Come unto Christ and follow him. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. This is my personal confidence in the thing that I am absolutely sure of is that he that started a work in you is faithful and he is going to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That means it does not stop until you are dead or the skies part and the trump of the Lord sounds and he comes back. He is going to complete the work. It doesn't stop. Peter matured into, matured into a confident follower of Christ. Now, Peter, I think me and him would get along. I really like Paul, but I don't think Paul would like me very much. So I think me and Peter, we'd, we'd get along pretty good. Blue collar, you know, fishing, heating and air. We can talk about. Peter, Paul's like, I went to Harvard and have a law degree. You're a weirdo. <laughs> Peter matured into a confident follower of Christ. Just look at how he matured. Peter, you know, he'd catch... Wisdom from God one second, the next moment be like, I'm all in the flesh. You know, I relate to Peter. He, he had one gear. You just got to point that dude somewhere. He's running all out. That's, you know, we often, guys like us often hit walls. You know, we don't realize that you pointed us towards the wall. We're just flat out running. Wham! Praise Jesus. His grace is sufficient. Christ asked the disciples, who do, who do you say that I am? And they're, well, some say Elisha, you know, they say you're a prophet. They have a lot of, who do you say that I am? And Simon, the mayor of the disciple town, he's like, you are the Messiah, the anointed one, the Christ. You're the son of God. And Jesus is like, 
Blessed are you, Simon Peter, son of Barjona, for temporal wisdom did not reveal this to you. My Father in heaven revealed that to you. Five minutes later, Jesus is like, so I'm going to have to go to Jerusalem and suffer persecution and suffer crucifixion, and all of this is for, and Peter's like, hold up, you know, I get wisdom from God. I don't know if you got the memo. He just said so. Far be it from you. You are the Messiah. You're here to restore Israel to a geopolitical power figure. Get rid of these Romans. And he said, get behind me, Satan. For you are not thinking with the wisdom. You are not thinking with heavenly things right now. That shows you how fast we can flip-flop, right? Divine wisdom. Next moment, in the flesh. But Peter matured. Listen to how he teaches in Acts. Read through Acts and read his sermons. He stood before the very body that plotted to have Christ turned over to the Romans and executed and said, hey, there is no other name given amongst men whereby you must be saved than Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Now, how does he go from being intimidated by a girl at the fire to deny Christ to standing before the very people that had a hand in turning Jesus over to the Romans and say, I won't, st- I won't back down from this. He had a personal confidence. Jesus didn't change. His perception, his view, his experience, his maturity, they changed. His personal confidence matured, and he knew what he stood on. And he could stand in front of that body of naysayers and those people that had the authority to have him executed and say, I will not back down from this. Our confidence is learned through experience. Joshua and Caleb were confident in the provision of the Lord. They knew, despite what was going on in Canaan, that God had given them the land and they were going to be victorious. They knew that. But there was ten others that outweighed them. And you know what happened? They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And Joshua and Caleb got to wander with them too. But sometimes your personal confidence doesn't mean you're going to live your best life now. I want you to be clear on that. It means God knows who are his. And he knows when your faith is shipwrecked. And he knows when you're walking closely to him. And all those things we think we're hiding from him for some reason are plain as day to him. Rahab learned of the God of Israel and she had confidence in the Lord. When the spies came to seek out the land, they came into Jericho. Rahab, this woman of the night, she has them in to her, her house, her apartment. She hides them. They come looking for the spies. They're like, oh, these spies are in town. We've got to get them. The king of Jericho sends people out to find them, and she's like, no, I, no, they're not here. They're gone. You know, she told a lie. Let me be honest, she lied, but she wasn't walking with the Lord, you know. But she knew who he was, and she had learned of him. And she had a personal confidence that he was the truth. He said, when you come back, remember, she said, when you come back, remember me. I've heard of your Lord. I've heard the stories how he drove out the other kings on the other side of the Jordan. I know your Lord is, your God is the truth. Remember me. Rahab, she's in Jesus' lineage if you follow the historical map. She said, I I know the Red Sea parted. I know the other kingdoms were defeated. And I have a personal confidence in this God of Israel. Number two this morning, it is a singular confidence. The confidence of the believer is in Christ alone. Paul writes, I am sure of this, that he that began the good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has begun the work in all that call upon his name, all that have surrendered their life to him, all that have been made a new creation through Christ Jesus, all that were dead in their trespasses and sin are now a living, alive in Christ. Yeah. Paul placed his faith in Christ alone. He said, I boast in Christ alone. 
He could have placed confidence in his works of the flesh, but he counted them as garbage. Remember I said Paul was a graduate from Harvard? That was just a contemporary parallel. He was from an affluent family. He, was, he says, I, I'm a Hebrew among Hebrews, circumcised on the eighth day, of the tribe of Benjamin, of the order of the Pharisees, which adhere to the strictest tenements of the law, as in front of the law considered blameless. I used to think all that was worth something, but now, garbage. Why? Because of a singular confidence in Jesus Christ, in his finished work, in his plan for my life, whether I base or abound, whether I'm shipwrecked or whether I'm comfortable, whether I'm starving, whether I'm freezing, whether I'm tied to a post, about to get lash number 39. Are you even conscious at that point, Paul? I don't know. But all I do know is this, that he that began a good work in me is going to finish it until the day of completion. He's going to finish it until the day of Jesus Christ. If I'm absent from the body, I'm present with the Lord. I do not fear he that can slay the body. I fear he that can send my spirit to eternal damnation. And I am sacrificing everything to live my life poured out for him as a drink offering. Does that sound significant? Does that sound like live your best life now? Look at me, so into my ministry? No. Imagine a hot rock and you pour water on it. Gone. Vapor. Immediately gone. How significant is that in your life? Does anybody remember the first time they saw water vaporize? Did your world change? No, right? And Paul said, if that's my life, I count it joy. These light and momentary afflictions, no big deal. I'm running my race faithfully. I'm going to pour it out to serve Jesus Christ. I will waste my life for him because I know who my confidence is in. I'm personally confident in it and I'm confident in the singularity of God Almighty. He is the only one. When Peter was on trial in front of the Sanhedrin, he said the same thing. In Acts 4, 12, there is salvation and no one else for there is no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. Peter's confidence was in Christ alone. Paul's confidence was in Christ alone. Those men that led the Reformation and broke loose from the Catholic Church, their faith was in Christ alone. Look into Martin Luther and the solas, sola scriptura, called sola fide, Christ alone, faith alone, scripture alone, the glory of God alone. Our faith is singular. Our confidence is singular. It is in the one that stepped out onto zero things and created everything by the power of his word. Jesus puts it very plainly that we only have confidence through him. And the illustration he used in John 15, 1 through 5. That's John 15, 1 through 5. Jesus said, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. What's Jesus saying? If you're doing great things for the kingdom of God, he's still going to deal with your flesh. There's still going to be seasons of pruning. There's still going to be times where we can become aware of, of our wretchedness before a mighty, awesome, thrice holy God 
And he deals with that as he matures us and brings us closer to him. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Jesus said, I am the only way, period. That's it. Jesus Christ is what our confidence is based on. It is singular. There are not many ways to heaven. I don't care what your favorite Christian celebrity says. I don't care what Oprah says. I don't care what anybody says. Not all roads lead to heaven. I'm not with this libertinism idea that what what you do with your body is of no consequence because it's your spirit that's saved. Does that, does that really flush out with Scripture? Are we so biblically illiterate that we would take that and be like, oh, yeah. Well, what does that do? That satisfies itching ears. Isn't there something in the Bible about there coming a time when people would not tolerate sound doctrine but would amass unto themselves false prophets that will satisfy their itching ears? What's our defense against that? Being in your word. One hour a week on Sunday morning is not make you a disciple. Walking into Burger King doesn't make you a whopper. Walking into church doesn't make you a disciple. Be a disciple. Because when it, time, when it comes time for you to stand ten toes to the world, ten toes to the enemy, it's going to be that personal confidence, the word that you have hidden in your heart. When your delight was the law of the Lord and you meditated on it day and night, the firm foundation when you dug down deep and teased through all of the false doctrines and the things that satisfied your flesh and found the biblical truth and built your house of faith, that is what is is going to stand in the torrents and the flood and the attack of the enemy because you have that personal confidence and you know that your confidence rests on one thing and one thing only, and that is Jesus Christ and his finished work. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And apart from him, there is no salvation. It is Christ alone. Alicia, if you would come, please. Finally, this morning, the confidence of the believer is an eternal confidence. Our confidence is placed on the everlasting ancient of days. He is Emmanuel, God with us. He has no beginning. He has no end. He is the Alpha and the Omega. He is without measure. He is God. He is God. That's who our faith is in. Not some roulette wheel. Not some if I say it and pray it right, I'll get what I want in this world. We're not living for this world, believer. We're going somewhere. My confidence will not help you when it comes time to stand ten toes to the man. But your confidence will. Your knowledge that your confidence is placed on Christ alone. Your knowledge that this is temporal, but he is eternal. The more you grow closer to him, the more confident you'll become in these truths. Let me tell this, let me say this for the skeptic. If you're too smart for Christianity, if you've figured it all out, 
In 2,000 years, the question has not been asked that brought Christianity or Christ crumbling to his knees. Come to the Word of God with your questions. Seek counsel with your questions. Come earnestly, not searching for confirmation bias, things that will prove you right. Come and say, I want to know what the Word of God says. C.S. Lewis started out as an atheist, read the Bible to disprove it and mock Christians, and wrote later that he was most probably the most reluctant convert in all of the kingdom, United Kingdom, because he was drug into the kingdom of God. Because when he applied every bit of sentient knowledge that he had and ran the matrix of scripture through what he could see, he came to the conclusion that God is who he says he is in the Holy Bible. God is faithful and God is true. There is not a question that the truth is afraid of. Bring your questions. Seek God. Knock and the door will be opened. Seek and he will reveal himself to you. You're not too smart for Christianity. I hate to like bust your bubble. There have been entire governmental regimes that have poured all of their resources into stamping out Christianity. And it stands today because it is the truth of God. And Jesus Christ said not one jot nor tittle will fall away before it all is completed. None of it is going to fall away until it is all completed. Think of how many resources have been spent and wasted to stamp out Christianity. Think of the council in Acts when they're trying to determine what to do with Peter and John. And Gamaliel stands up and he says, you know what, this isn't the first time we've seen this. Wasn't there some other guy, Thaddeus, or whatever his name was? Didn't he have a couple hundred followers and then he was killed and they all scattered? And didn't that other fellow come up even out of Galilee? And didn't he have a few hundred followers and he died and everybody scattered? You think Christianity's false and every single founding apostle died a violent and brutal death outside of John and nobody renounced it along the way just to keep up appearances on a good lie? You don't think somebody, the truth would have got out? You don't think the most likely outcome is Jesus rose from the dead when every other governmental authority wanted that not to be the case and put every resource they had into disproving that? He rose, believer. He rose. He bought us. Not with perishable things like gold and silver, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. I'm not blind to the world around me. I see the economic trends moving in a bad direction, just like the next person. I see the moral rot and decay in our culture, just like the next person. I see the cultural push to silence the church, just like the next person. What I see right there, those are facts. But do you know there's not a period after those list of facts? There's a but. A but God. I see the blessed hope that I have in Christ Jesus far more clearly than I see this world falling apart. It is my personal confidence. It is my singular confidence. And it is my eternal confidence that allows me to see all the facts that we have in front of us today and know beyond a shadow of a doubt that my God will never leave me. He will never forsake me. He is faithful to his word. He is coming back for me. And I will walk with him in glory for all of eternity once the fullness of time has come.
at the fullness of time, believer. Hold on. Walk it out. He is our hope. He is our deliverer. He is our redemption. If you're here today and you would say, I don't have that confidence. I don't, I don't know this Jesus. Maybe you went to church as a child. Maybe you've never entertained the idea. If you're here today and you want to know this confidence, you want to walk in step with the one that created it all, I invite you to come to this altar, not because there's something special about this altar, not because there's something special about the person I'll pray for you, but because there's something very special about the Holy Spirit that's stirring inside of you right now, quickening your spirit and bringing you alive from your dead ways, your, your path of destruction and death. The altars are open. If, if there's a stirring in, in you, respond. Don't delay. If you would say, my confidence is under attack. My confidence is under attack. But I know that he has started a work in me. And I trust that he is faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. I invite you to come. Come to the altar and lay it before the Lord. He is your strength. He is your provider. He is your comforter. He is your savior. Do not let pride get in the way. I feel somebody's pushing the spirit away. You can sear your spirit. One of the women this morning said, there's an issue with sin. Many reference Philippians. The, the Lord is here and he is calling you home. If you don't know what to do, just step towards him. That's all I knew how to do. I was broken and shattered when I came to God. All I knew how to do was just say, I don't have anything for you, God, but I'm coming for it. If we have some that here that are solid in their faith, would they please, a man with a man and a woman with a woman, come and pray for those at the altar right now. He is our Lord. He is our confidence. He is our provider. He is our reigning and our soon coming king, believer. And no matter what it looks like in this world, we're going to go be with him. Whether they put my light out first or he parts the skies at the trump of the Lord, I'm going to be with him. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and this I know. You cannot threaten the destruction of this body. I don't care. I did far worse things to it when I was in rebellion. You can't. Because I stand in my confidence of who God is, what he has finished, what he has accomplished, what he is doing, and what he will do. He is a great, mighty, holy God. And he considers us, believer. He considers us. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.
those in the altar. He is your confidence. He alone is your confidence. Those in the congregation that have been through the hills and valleys, that have experienced God's restoration and stand firmly on your confidence. I just want to give him the shout of the Lord, a hand clap of praise to him this morning, and encourage those in the altar that this isn't the end. Their situation right now is not the end, but our confidence is firm on Christ. Be emboldened, be strengthened, and be confident, believer. give me about 30 seconds. I just want to share something with you and I wanted it to be in Jason's hearing. This is kind of like the last 5% stuff you don't know. I have about four or five friends that are visiting today that I haven't seen in, oh man, here in 10 years. Uh, Some of them, some are two years and there's a carnal part of you, you know, like, oh man, I wish I was preaching because... (laughs) My friends here, my supporters here, uh, young, old, uh, those from the other locations. But you could have went anywhere today and not heard better than what we heard this morning. Good word. Cast not therefore away your confidence. It has great recompense unto the reward. The final thought before you go home, don't confuse confidence with your keeping. You might feel like things aren't being held together. You might feel like I don't, you know, I don't see the answer. I don't feel the support. Confidence, see, the confidence is my responsibility. The keeping is his responsibility. He's faithful. I'm grateful today that I and you know him. And that foundation under us is eternal. Lord, we love you this morning. We thank you for the words you brought through our worship team, the songs of praise. It was line upon line, precept upon precept this morning. I pray that we would take it to heart. We would be students of the scriptures, that we would know you personally, intimately, and experientially, and that we would understand that you are still working all things together for our good because we love you and we're called according to your purpose. Keep us, Lord, if you should tarry till we come together this Wednesday for the men and women's Bible studies and for our youth services. Allow our light to shine brighter, our roots to go deeper, and our influence to stretch to all those that don't know you, I pray. We wrap this part of today up, Lord, reminding you that you're it for us. You're the author and finisher of our faith. And we bless you, Lord. Amen. Have a wonderful Lord's Day. God bless you.